Morning. Three weeks after her wedding day, a woman called her pastor, and she was in a historical state, just hysterical, just really screaming and crying and very emotional, and, and he asked, what's going on, what's wrong? And she says, John and I had our first fight, and it was awful. It was terrible. What am I going to do? He said, calm down. This really is not as bad as you think. These things happen. Welcome to marriage. It's not your first. It won't be your last. Uh, she continued with just being hysterical. She said, I know, I know, but my question, Pastor, is what am I going to do with the body? <laughs> what we're going to see today from 2 Samuel chapter 2 is that a house divided can be deadly. It can. We're going to get behind the curtain on division, and we're going to see the darkness of it. Division is a very dark thing. 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8 is where we begin. <clears throat> but Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So after walking through the first seven verses of this chapter last week, the beginning of verse 8 is very menacing. But Abner. Abner did not think very highly of the recipe for unity. It wasn't that impressive to him. It wasn't something that he felt he had to have. Not only was he the captain of Saul's army, he was also Saul's first cousin. They were family. So despite God's will, which was received by Judah in the south that recognized David as their king, Abner did not trust God. And because he didn't trust God, he took matters into his own hands. And what did he do? He took Saul's only surviving son, Ishbosheth, and made him king. This wasn't God's doing. This was Abner's doing. This is what Abner thought was best. And he made him king over northern Israel, which the territory that is in view here was about three times the size of Judah. The ultimate proof that he didn't trust God is seen by comparing verse 1 and verse 8. Verse 1 is very clear that David trusted God. He didn't just go to Hebron. He just didn't go up to Judah. He sought God and waited for direction. But in verse 8, Abner did not seek God at all. This was his doing, his plan. He did what was right in his own eyes and and the outcome is very, very clear. Verse 8 says, but Abner, and then we see another but in verse 10 at the end, but the house of Judah followed David. 
The outcome was a house divided. Some are following Abner and his plan, and some are following God's plan with David. A house divided. The first major point today, I'm trusting for us that it would be very sobering. And I think every point we're going to look at today, uh, this is my heart. I want this to be very sobering for us. I'm I'm dying for us to really see the darkness of division. I really want us to see it uh, from God's perspective. And I think if we can see it from God's perspective, that will help us to not want anything to do with it. To have a desire that says, I want no part of that. The first major point, listen, is division is demonic. It is demonic. Uh, Because of our familiarity with certain terms, I think the more that we hear certain terms, I think over time, uh, subtly, we can uh, lose the severity of the term. We talked about discipleship this morning. This is a term that is thrown around very often in many churches, and, but sometimes when you get under the hood of what that looks like, it has nothing to do with Scripture whatsoever. It's just a label that we slap on something and call it that, right? Uh, the same is true when we talk about division. We hear it and hear it and hear it and think, yeah, I know what that is, but when we don't have God's view of it, When we don't see it the way that God sees it, what happens is it's so easy to overlook who's actually behind it. Like, where is this coming from? Where did this originate? Where did this start? Who is really pushing this? We we identify the wrong enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that Uh, We're not wrestling with flesh and blood, are we? But so often we identify flesh and blood as the enemy when that's the wrong enemy. Verse 8 reveals who is behind it. Abner, it means father of light. Well, that sounds great. (laughs) Wow, what a name. Abner, father of light. Light's good. Well, let's consider 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 14. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. There is a counterfeit light. There is. Right? This is the devil's game from Genesis to Revelation. Whatever God does... He counters. Whatever God uh, has made clean, he wants to defile. Whatever God is, he is always looking to work the opposite. Ishbosheth, it means man of shame. In 1 Chronicles 8.33, Ishbosheth is referred to as Eshbal. So that gives us insight. The Jews would change names that ended in and of course, when you're talking about Baal or Bell, however you pronounce that, you're talking about false gods. So you had the father of light, a false counterfeit light, and the man of shame influencing and leading the nation. Northern Israel, that was. And they were not interested whatsoever 
in unity. Wanted nothing to do with that. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Again, devil is a familiar term. I know exactly who that is. I know exactly what that means, but I think it's good to let's just make sure we're seeing that in its fullness. Devil means traducer. That is, to traduce is to blame, to condemn, to vilify, defame, willfully misrepresent. When there is division in Christ's body, are these things not in play? Are these things not involved? The the defaming of people, the misrepresenting of people, the vilifying of people, all of that. Division is the byproduct of giving place to the devil. That's how we get there. <clears throat> right? I mean, you, you, this is recorded and preserved for us in the very beginning. Right? I mean, where you see this, this division that occurs where Satan now is able to, the serpent is able now to entice and manipulate Eve to break fellowship with God. And then once broken fellowship with God, listen, couples, married couples, if your fellowship is not airtight, if your fellowship is not healthy, if your fellowship is not what God intended, there's, there's, there's distance, there's separation, there's, there's a gap in your fellowship and your marriage relationship. Guess who's behind that? It's not just between you and your spouse. It's bigger than that. It's not that we, we've got this issue that we can't work out. No, 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 no. What's happened is someone has given place to the devil. And when you give place to the devil, your vertical relationship with God is going to be fractured. And then from there, make no mistake about it, all of your horizontal relationships are going to be in peril starting with your marriage. That's how it works. When we give place to the devil, division is going to happen. And here is what is very sobering for me. Men like Abner have been, are, and will be members of churches just like this. History would show that. And they're very dangerous because they're very influential. Abner essentially was able to sway almost an entire nation to follow his plan, not God's. One man (laughs) swayed almost the entire nation to go against God and disobey the will of God. Very influential, very persuasive these men are, and from that, We pinpoint, I believe, a gripping observation for me. It doesn't take much to get believers to divide. That's gripping for me. Like, you really learn a lot about 
the spiritual maturity, the spiritual state of a person, you learn a lot about them when you observe what they are actually willing to go to war over. This happens in marriage, does it not? Are, are we really raising our voices at one another? Are we really screaming at one another? Are we really saying very unkind and ungodly things to one another because someone forgot to close the garage door? Is, is that really what we're yelling and screaming and using corrupt communication about? Because you forgot to tell me that we had an appointment with our accountant on Thursday, and so I'm just gonna blow a lid now because you didn't communicate that to me in a timely manner? This happens. Are we really going to slug it out over how to set up this room? I think it ought to be this way. You think it ought to be that way. So let's fight it out. Like you do, you learn a lot about a person when you observe what they are actually willing to go to war over. Wow. Wow. Unity, on the other hand, is much harder to achieve in the vision. Isn't that something? Unity is much harder to achieve and maintain. Division, that's nothing. That's nothing. Not that I would, <clears throat> but if I was reckless enough, I could stand there for this morning and I could say some things that would be very politically charged. And you may not say anything to me right now, but for some of you, you'd be so irate, so steaming mad. That it would shake you up for weeks. This is what I'm saying. Like, it just, unity, it's just, I mean, division, it's nothing. It's nothing. What does our Bible say? In Psalm 119, I believe it's verse 165, great peace have they who love thy law, and what offends them? Nothing. How easily offended are you? I can't believe you said that! Sorry. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul said, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Corinth was a house divided. They were a hot mess as they say, I, I'm changing. I've heard people say that hot mess, and I'm starting to say it now. It's like, I never would have said that before. But I've been hearing people say it. They're a hot mess, and I'm just like, why, why do I keep saying hot mess? 
Like, this is becoming a part of my vernacular. Like, I'm saying it more and more. Mark, you are a hot mess. You are. <laughs> Travis, you're a hot mess. You know? You're a hot mess, bro. Martha, you are not a hot mess. <laughs> Carl is, though. Yes. Do we have division now? Yes. Yeah. Philippians 4.2. I beseech Iodius and beseech Sintike, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. This is fascinating to me. Fascinating. That the Holy Ghost moved the Apostle Paul to write this, and obviously the Holy Ghost, God has preserved this for the church regarding two women who were in conflict. And knowing, God knowing that it being preserved would be read by billions of people. That's fascinating to me. This is some history you don't want to be a part of. This is not how you want to be mentioned. It is amazing to me that God actually preserved this knowing the audience that it would get. But here's what it shows us. It shows us the attention that God gives to division in his church. If he was willing to record two names for all of, of humanity to see, God says, I take this very seriously, and I think therein is one of the problems is we're not in alignment with respect to our disdain for unity with God. God says, I absolutely hate it with a righteous passion. And we say, well, I hear you, but you got to understand, um, when it comes down to this, if I don't get my way, then I'm sorry. I'm fighting for my rights. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No. Here's what's also interesting. We're not given any details over what they were fighting about. But we are told that they were divided. You know what that tells us? What they were fighting about was irrelevant. Just like today. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Listen, the things that we usually divide over do not matter more than our unity. It just means more for us to be together, for us to be right, for us to be at peace, for us to be reconciled, for us to be in unity. That just means more than this thing over I'm just not going to, it's just, that's just not even worth a conversation. One of the things that you learn from dealing with people is there are a number of people who just can't let things go. Just let it go. I don't have to win. I don't have to make my point. I don't have to have the last word. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be heard. You know what? 
God will take care of that. I don't have to fix everybody. I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to have control. God is sovereign. He can handle it. I was telling someone not long ago, a single person, and they're working through just, you know, going through life, and at some point they're, they're going to get married, and I think that's all great, and praise the Lord. And, but one of the things I said was, as we were talking about a number of things, I said, hey, I just want to make sure, you know, you, you understand this, and that is marriage is not a venue where we get to change people. So whatever imperfections that you see now, one of the questions you want to ask yourself is, am I or would I be willing to live with that for the rest of my life if I marry this person? Why? Because that may never change. And if you think that you're going to marry them and after enough time of you lecturing and pestering them and nagging and bugging them that somehow they're going to wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, I see it now. You are sadly mistaken. If I and Lori were to be brutally honest, which we are, there are imperfections and things that Lori saw in me when we were dating and developing a relationship that are still there at this very moment. Sorry. Sorry. Welcome to humanity. And I could say the same thing about her, although her list is much, much shorter than mine. But she does have a list. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know, love has got to be godly. And what that says is, is I've made a decision. I'm going to love you no matter what. No ultimatums, or you better change that, or you better get that together. Or you, no, 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 no. Is that how God loves me? Yeah, once you in, in, improve your performance, then my love barometer will begin to rise. See, this is the thing that I say a lot, and, I, and you're like, dude, you, you got to get over this. This is so shallow. Okay, I'm sorry. I just can't. You are probably a much deeper thinker than I am, and I respect you for that, but I... I can't get over this. Do you understand that there is absolutely nothing, and I mean nothing, that I could ever do that would cause God to love me more or love me less? I can't. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Like, I, I, I could preach the greatest message of my life, or I could stand up here and you guys are like, did you even study? I mean, really bomb it. And you know what? God says, that's my boy. I love him. I love him. What can separate you? What can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord? What's the answer? Nothing. Nothing. Right? So, we continue. I gotta watch the clock. Mark has us running late this morning. <laughs> How's that for unity, huh? <laughs> or was it Carla? Yeah, it was you. Okay. All right. All right. Verse twelve. 
and Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Bisbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanam to Gibeon, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, the 12 of the servants of David, and the 12 of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Wherefore, that place was called Helthkath Hazurim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. A new name emerges here, a name that by the time we are done with the book of 2 Samuel, it will be a name you will never forget, and that is Joab. Uh, what a name. Zariah was David's sister, so Joab was David's nephew, and that will definitely play a role in events. And we're going to see Joab officially become the commander of David's army in 2 Samuel chapter 5, but he is leading in that capacity unofficially at this point. But Joab seemed to have responded to Abner's decision to begin to close in on Judah. Gibeon was not very far from Hebron. I mean, he's moving from Mahanaim down to Gibeon and by all indications, what Abner was looking to do was he was looking to essentially bring Judah under the rule of Ishbosheth. I mean, this is his agenda. But again, what is he doing? He is leading and making decisions, but he is not inquiring of the Lord like David did. He's not seeking God. He's just doing what he believes to be right. He's just running his agenda and the sport that he and Joab agreed to. It was very similar to what we read in 1 Samuel between David and Goliath. Uh, this was mortal combat. I mean, we hear sport and we think, oh, chiefs, or no, not that kind of sport. As you saw, there was blood that was shed here, except the difference was in 1 Samuel, uh, it was David and Goliath, the Philistine. They weren't family. This was family. This was family. And what was proposed back in 1 Samuel was that the loser would become servant to the winner. This is exactly what Abner had or has in mind. But 24 men end up killing each other in this, and war breaks out. Here's what I want you to see next, is division is disregardful. It's demonic, but it's also disregardful. If we would respect the word of God, would you consider Proverbs 20 and verse 18? Every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice make war. War is not something that should be entered into lightly. There should be significant deliberation. Why? Because people die in war. People lose lives 
War is not something to enter into lightly. But listen, Abner had no regard for human life. He didn't care about that. He didn't care about the loss of life. What he cared about was he had an agenda. He saw an opportunity to grab power and grab control. And if a few people lost their lives in the process, well, then so what? It's a small price to pay for me to get my way. Hear this. Divisive agendas fail to consider how others will be affected. That's not taken into consideration. Uh, From this war here at the Pool of Gibeon, wives will become widows, children will become fatherless, friends would lose close brothers. None of that mattered to Abner. Who cares? They'll get over it. The motivation behind division is usually to seize power and control. This is what we're ultimately fighting over, right? I have an agenda. There's something that I want. I I have a plan. I've I've got an objective. I've got a motive. And I'm willing to go to war for it. I want power and control. Number 16, now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Korah accused Moses and Aaron of having too much power. But here's the deal. That's exactly what he wanted. He was envious of the power that he perceived them to have. And that's what he coveted. He coveted being the guy. He coveted being in the position that God had placed Moses and Aaron in. And like Abner, he did not consider how it would affect people. When the dust clears on this rebellion here in number 16, almost 15,000 people died. And what Quora was after and what he was about, it wasn't worth the loss of one life. But almost 15,000 people died because of this rebellion. But more blood would be spilled from what started at the pool of Gibeon. Azahel, the younger brother of Joab, went after Abner. And in Abner's defense... He recognized that Azahel was no match for him. You can read it. You'll see it. And he warned him twice. 
go find somebody in your league. I'm not it. Azahel will have no part of it. He kept going, pursuing, and we get to verse 23. Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner, with the hinder end of the spear, smote him under the fifth rib. We're going to see that phrase about four times in 2 Samuel, fifth rib. We'll talk more about it. That the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Azahel fell down and died, stood still. Given that the men stood still would tell us that Azahel was someone who was very beloved. They had great respect and admiration for him. He was highly thought of. And, and while Abner's actions were in self because uh, he was the one who really instigated this whole thing. He started it all. A ceasefire was essentially agreed to, but it only ended battle on this day. We were just getting started. And based on how chapter 3 begins, what we can conclude is that of the seven and a half years that David reigned in Judah, they were fighting. They were at war. Ishbosheth, David, all of that. Verse 30, And Joab returned from following Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants 19 men in Azahel. But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that 303 score, 360 men died. And they took up Azahel and buried him in the sepulcher of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Uh, Abner was the instigator, but, but Joab wasn't seeking peace either. Let me make sure I, I point that out. And that will only amplify as we get to know this man named Joab even more. If there was one thing he did not mind, he didn't mind war. Uh, he had an appetite for it, and he was actually really good at it. Again, we'll talk more about that. Joab is, uh, for me, Joab is uh, a guy that I, I can't study enough. We would say Joab was a man's man, okay? Like if you had to get in a foxhole and, and it's two against 50, I'll take Joab every time. Joab knew how to war, uh, but he was also a great liability as well, which we'll see. David lost men, but 360 men died in following Abner. Here's the third point. Division is deadly. Division is deadly. It's demonic. It's disregardful. It doesn't take into account people. Who cares how it affects people? I don't care who gets hurt. I just want to get my way. But it's also deadly. A lot of people died today in this battle. Completely unnecessary. Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Do you know what this tells us? Unity is required for the survival of any group. 
if any group is going to survive, a church, a fellowship, a marriage, a friendship, if it is going to survive, there must be unity. If division assumes the personality of the relationship or the culture of that group, that group is on borrowed time. If I could challenge you this morning, if I could challenge you as a spouse, would you, if you, if you haven't done this, just go back and, and think about what you said when you stood before God and you looked your wife in the face and you looked your husband in the face and you said, till death do us part. That you are absolutely premeditated. That the only, the only option for us to separate is death. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That you are determined. We're one. But listen, we can't stop there. We have to take that same approach when it comes to our relationships in this place. That, you know what? Listen, like we read, if we're going to go to war, man, we better be careful. <laughs> if I'm going to come after Dave Serta, if I'm going to come after Kyle, if I'm going to come after Rachel, and, and we're going to separate, over what? No. we got to be premeditated that I am not going to allow. And again, guys, in a place like this, we're not talking about, I mean, anything's possible, but I mean, come on. We're not talking about Sam or Brandon or me or somebody. Sam said, you know, I've been doing some reading and I've come to the place where I'm really questioning the virgin birth of Christ. You know, I'm not sure that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm not sure how literal that really was. We're not, we're not talking about, we don't divide over stuff like that. Not in this place, we don't. We don't. What happens here at Midtown, sadly, is that battle lines get drawn over something that somebody just simply needed to die to self. Instead, what died was a relationship. Simply put, division will put this church, it will put this class into the ground. There are churches that taught sound doctrine and were unflinching 
and their conviction for holding to a King James Bible. To only one day put a for sale sign in the yard of the church and close the doors of that place. Why? Because they were, they became a house divided. Lord, we thank you for your word. Would you help us to consider these things? To consider how demonic division is. To consider how disregardful it is. And to consider how deadly it is. And in that consideration, we will walk away and determine right now and forever in terms of the time that we have left on this planet that we would say, you know what? I will not give in to that. I will not go to war with my wife, with my husband, with my brother, with my sister over that. In Jesus' name, amen.